You're listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. For all of you new listeners, I welcome you. I invite you to go back and listen to some of my previous podcasts. And for those of you that are returning, I thank you. The podcast has been downloaded in 113 cities and 8 countries. So thanks for taking the time. And I have to say I really appreciate it. And when I say appreciate it, I really mean applaud it. The fact that you're taking the time to listen to this. And when I say applaud it, I really mean I'm dumbfounded. I mean, you're taking time out of your busy day for this? (laughs) Awesome. In this episode, I'll be sharing a recent golf story, uh, a game that I played that Taylor introduced me to, a game called Bingo Bango Bongo, um, (laughs) which really sounds funny, and it's really a fun game, as well as other stories told to me by my friends at the golf course, Lewis and Duff. You know, one of my affirmations when I first started this was to influence other people to share their stories. And I am just, again, dumbfounded by how many people come up to me and say, hey, you got to hear this story. You're not going to believe this. So, man, I am all ears. So keep giving me your golf stories and I'll tell them on this podcast. So, look, I've got to share other people's stories because, I mean, you could only have so many of my personal strippers on a golf course stories. Colonoscopy playing golf the same day. Hot golfer chicks wearing no underwear to win a bet. Guys who never stop talking on the golf course till they drive you crazy. Bombing an interview at Augusta National Stories. Business golf gone horribly wrong. Throwing a butter at your brother's head kind of stories. Undercover cops busting people and having their life threatened years after guys get out of jail. Stories like fighting on a golf course, golf betting stories, and also how our local pros get into the zone stories. And by the way, one of the three scratch golfers that I had interviewed for the episode about getting in the zone, Brandon McCracken, not but three or four weeks later, went on to win the Charleston National Club Championship. So Brandon, you're welcome. Okay, before I get into the bingo, bango, bongo event, I'll share Duff and Lewis's stories that just had me in stitches. So Bob Duffy, or as he's referred to at the club, Duff, he's playing this golf course in Merrill's Inlet like a year or so ago. It's on the south side of Myrtle Beach. And at the time, he's staying at some condo or townhouse on the north side of Myrtle Beach, and he'd never made the trip down before to play golf. So he schedules himself. He gets up in the morning. He starts driving down, and he realizes this is a longer trip than I thought. You know, I'm not going to have time to go to the range. I'm not going to have time to meet whoever I'm going to play with and, you know, and ride together. So he is just rushing. He gets, you know, out to the clubhouse. He's putting his shoes on. He's running and paying, and he runs out. And he gets there right at the time, maybe a few minutes after his designated tee time. And he meets the starter, and the starter introduces him to his playing partner, Joey, 
from Chicago, Illinois. So he meets Joey, and then the starter starts to go into his spiel. He's got this whole thing rehearsed. And basically what he's telling, he's giving him a quick tutorial on the course, but his main point was that this course has the best wildlife that you'd ever seen here in the whole South Carolina area. I mean, he couldn't say enough about the different types of species of birds, mammals, and reptiles. And Duff thought he was interviewing for a role in the old show Wild Kingdom. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom is presented by Mutual of Omaha. I mean, if any of you have ever seen that show, it used to play on Sundays, and I think it was like a Disney channel, uh, or at least a Disney show on ABC. But there was this guy, Marlon Perkins, and he used to have these guys that he worked with, Jim and Stan. And what they would do is they would go out and do catch and release for wild game. So there was one episode where they go out to capture this anaconda, they fought crocodiles. They bagged tigers. But the anaconda one, to me, cracked me up because it was either Stan or Jim goes out on a horse to the end of this river in the Amazon. And he's got a lasso. And he's sitting there with this lasso in his hand. And he lassoes this anaconda that's in the river. And then he and Marlon Perkins get out in the water to try and capture it. And this anaconda is wrapping itself around these guys' heads. And it really looks serious. And I'm thinking the whole time, what the hell is the cameraman doing? I mean, he's sitting here filming it. And I think Marlon's telling him to keep going, keep going. I swear to God, I thought this was the end of him. But, you know, that was TV back in the 60s and 70s. After the starter's tutorial on the wildlife, Duff and Joey started their golf adventure in the wildlife. And so, you know, they start playing and they're seeing birds of prey and they're seeing a few alligators. And Duff's thinking, yeah, this is a lot like Charleston National. And yeah, it is kind of like a wildlife preserve. So they get up to, I think it's like the third or the fourth hole. They finish it and they have to go over this bridge to get the next hole. And I think it's over some marshland again so they could see more wildlife. And in the middle of the bridge, there is this baby deer, a doe. And it is just sitting there and all of a sudden its head peeks up while they're starting to come up. And Joe's first and Duff's right behind him. And so Joe slows his cart down and Duff's right behind him. Duff just kind of stops. And typically when a deer sees carts coming, they're going to look up and then hightail it the other way right? And we've seen this so many times at Charleston National. They might give you a look for a second, but they're always in fear of their lives. So now Joe's stopped. The deer keeps looking at him and Joe's like, well, maybe I'll just inch up. And Joe starts to inch up. And then for some reason, he decides he's going to floor it. And maybe that's going to get the deer to move. And as he comes up to the deer, the deer just gets so freaking excited and nervous that he shoots right inside of Joe's cart to try and go through Joe's cart. And when this is happening, Joe doesn't know what to do. So Joe ducks. He leans forward. The deer goes behind him and gets caught between his back and the seat. And the deer's legs are flailing and the hoofs are going back and forth. Meanwhile, Duff's watching this and going, holy shit, there is wildlife here. 
And, you know, Joe is scared shitless. He doesn't know what to do. And he's stepping on the gas and the deer's feet are going. Finally, the deer must have caught his hooves on a part of the golf cart and sprung out of the golf cart onto the bridge, jumped over the bridge into the marsh and then scurried off. Meanwhile, Duff's watching this. His eyes are like the size of golf balls. So after the quick commotion, Joe steps on the gas, goes flying over the bridge, and Duff decides to follow him. Joe gets out of his cart. He's, he's definitely shaken up from the whole thing. And Duff looks over at the cart. And just to paint the picture of what a golf cart should look like, the golf cart has this leather-like interior. And behind it, there's usually this really hard plastic backing. And it looks like the leather is almost meshed right into it. So there's no space between the leather and the hard plastic. And Duff looks over there. And between the leather and the hard plastic, there are these tufts of hair sticking out. It looks like they scalp the deer. And they try to pull it out. They couldn't even get it out. That deer was so scared that he impaled himself on the back of the cart and ripped his hair out. Anything, it's almost like Coyote Ugly. He bit his hand off. Now, you would think that's the end of this wildlife story. So, let's keep going. They're getting to the back nine, and a few holes later... You know, when he made the turn, I think Joe was a little nervous and bought a lot of food and a lot of beer to kind of settle himself down. So Joe's drinking his beer on the 10th and the 11th hole, and he starts into a sandwich, but then he leaves it on his cart. They go to play this hole. They come back, and there is this squirrel eating Joe's sandwich, and he is just gnawing at it. He's got both of his hands up. He's eating it with both hands. Now, Joe comes over. He's got his putter in his hand. He's like, shoo, shoo. The squirrel doesn't move. It's almost like, thanks for the Uber Eats. I'm going to sit here and eat this sandwich. And Joe didn't know what to do. So he just, it's like he was a swordsman. He's going out there and he's thrusting and he's parrying and, you know, everything else he could do to just try and scare the squirrel. Squirrel's not moving. So he actually had to take his putter and nudge and nudge the squirrel. And the squirrel's fighting him. But the squirrel finally left, and he left with Joe's sandwich. You know, and you got to hear this story told by Duff, because Duff has a heavier New York accent than I do. And I think Duff turned to Joe and said, hey, that starter wasn't shitting when he said there was wildlife out here. Another one of Duff's stories that he shared with me, um, he was playing golf one day with his buddy John Holofka, and John could just hit the snot out of the ball, and they're playing this course that John had played several times, Duff had never played it before, and they get to this one hole, it's the fifth hole, it's a par five dog leg left, which basically means when you tee off, you can't see the green when you're teeing off, you could just see the fairway, and as you get farther out, it curves to the left, and on the left-hand side, the whole perimeter of the hole, there are these pine trees. So not only can you not see the green, you can't see anything to the left at all. So this guy, John, has, has played this before, and he's tried to get on the green in two several times. Par five, hard to get on in two. 
but he hits the ball far, and every time he makes a second shot, he hits it into the pine trees. It's been every single time. So he shares this with Duff, and they get to the hole, and he crushes a drive. And Duff's kind of a wise guy and probably said something like, you know, John, this is the time to go for it. I mean, I know you haven't made it in the past, but I'm feeling good. You're playing good today, and this has got to be one of your longest drives. That's all he had to say to John. John pulls at his three-wood, and he's getting ready to hit, but there's a guy on the green that's just getting done putting out, so he's going to be respectful and wait, and you have to do that. So he waits. The guy gets off the green. He gets in his cart. He starts riding to the next hole. At this point, Duff thinks it's a good idea to coach him. And, and you know, here's a better way to hit it on in two. And, you know, Duff could hit it pretty far as well. So he's giving him all these thoughts about getting his right shoulder back and making a full turn and staying behind the ball. I mean, and so now John's getting excited. He's getting excited. But after all this coaching, Duff looks at him and goes, 100 bucks, you can't make the green. John's like, what the fuck? He just coached me. He goes, 100 bucks, you can't make the green. Even with all that great tutelage, you can't hit the green. And John's like, oh, yeah, watch this. He takes his three-way back, and he crushes it. And the ball starts drawing to the left. But he hits it so far, he is way up and over the pine trees. He's never hit it this way before. Typically, it goes right into the pine trees. So now he's watching his ball draw over, and he's feeling pretty good. But a gust of wind right to left hits it, and it goes farther and farther left. But he can't see where it's going. He knows it's going towards the green, but now it seems like it's going a little farther left. So they both get in the cart, and they start driving around, and John's excited. He's thinking, hey, maybe I got on in two. This is exciting. And Duff's kind of getting, razzing him a little bit like, Bad, this is it. You did it. You did it. And as they come around the corner, they don't see their ball on the green. But past the green, you could see where the next hole starts and the next tee box is, and there's a guy on the tee box laying down on the ground. And they're like, what the fuck? And they drive up further. And as they get up, the guy's still laying there. And they see John's ball is right by this guy. And the guy's laying down on the ground. And, they're, and now they're nervous. Like, holy, did we kill this guy? And so now they get up and they're, they're helping the guy up. He's dizzy. He's got this big bump on his forehead. And you can see it's starting to get worse and worse. And they are so apologetic. John is like, I'm so really sorry. I'm really sorry. And then they got a response from this guy that they never expected. The guy goes, hey, guys, don't worry about it. My day has been so shitty so far that this is just one more shitty thing. I mean, this guy is like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. I mean, he is just like, hey, it's been such a bad day. I can't make a par. Something happened this morning at business. I had to leave. I had to come to the golf course. So this is just fitting. Guys, don't worry about it. But John, who's a nice guy, kept saying to the guy, hey, look, let me get you in my cart. Let me drive back to the pro shop. Let's get a bandage on that. Maybe we have to take you to the hospital. And the guy's like, really, guys? I'm going to be okay. And John's like, okay. John goes, gets a wedge, hits the ball from the next tee box up onto the green. And as they're walking towards the green, Duff just goes, you know what? Keep the $100. You might not have gotten home in two. But that shot, that shot you couldn't hit if I bet you another $100.
This next story was told to me by Lewis Robinson. He refers to himself as Lou, particularly when he hits off shots on the golf course, so I call him Lou all the time. And Lou's a funny guy from the Boston, Rhode Island area, and his accent is as New England as you can get, so I love when he tells these stories. He was telling me he used to work the golf industry up in Rhode Island. He worked at this course where every once in a while they'd have these corporate outings. And this one company would come out several times a year, bring all their people out, take over the whole course, buy alcohol for everybody, and play a friendly game. And then afterwards, in the clubhouse, they'd have some kind of awards dinner. So this one year, they had their outing, but a few days before the outing, there were some heavy rains. So which meant the day that they had to come out there for their outing, it was cart paths only, which means you can't drive your carts out on the fairways. It's just too wet. You'll ruin it. So they go out to the outing, and at this course, they have really nice carts with GPS range finders built into them, which means anywhere you are on the course, you could see how far you are from the green, how far you are from the water, from the sand trap. It's really nice to have. I mean, in today's era, a lot more people have wearable devices or have their own handheld rangefinders. But this is a few years back before that was popular. So whenever you went to a course like this, it was pretty cool that you had one of these. So they're playing their round and the drinks start flowing. The golfers start getting looser. They're having more fun. But in one of the foursomes, there was a guy who thought he was a way better golfer than he was. And I'm going to call him Bobby Tipperillo because I think the name's pretty fitting for him. And Bobby, because he thought he was such a good golfer, every once in a while would take his golf cart out on the fairway because he was just better than everybody. And several times he had to be told by the ranger, who I think might have been Lewis at the time, to, hey, could you please bring your carts back on the cart path? That's cart path only. And so Bobby's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by the third time this happened, Lewis had to get a little stern with him. And I think he said some words, and Lewis takes shit from no one. And so I think they kind of had it out, and Lewis might have embarrassed the guy because he really, he was being a jerk. And so Lewis leaves, goes back to the pro shop. Meanwhile, Bobby and his foursome decides at the last hole that they're playing, and because this is a scramble, everybody starts at a different hole, and whatever hole they were finishing on, it was far enough away from the clubhouse so you couldn't see what was going on. And Bobby gets in his cart, drives up to the green, and starts doing donuts with the cart. And when you do that on a golf course, particularly on a green, you rip up the grass. You ruin the green. But Bobby didn't give a shit because Lewis embarrassed him, and Bobby's such a good golfer, he shouldn't be told what to do. Meanwhile, he drives his cart back. Everybody goes in the clubhouse, and everybody's starting to have drinks. In the meantime, Lewis or one of the other employees had to go back out to some of the holes to pick up the closest to the green pins and some of the longest drive pins, which are typically left out on a course, and the employees have to get it and bring it back. Bobby didn't think about that because the hole that Bobby was doing his donuts on was one of the par threes where they had one of the closest to the pin sign. So somebody had to go out and get that. And when, when they went out and got it, they saw how they ruined the green. 
So they come back in and they tell the head pro. And now because of the technology, they were able to go and look at this computer screen and track all of the carts and where they were. I mean, I'm sure Bobby didn't know about this technology because they were able to go back to cart number seven that they knew Bobby Tipperillo was in. And they could see this diagram of this cart going around and around in circles. It like goes off, off into the fairway, and then all of a sudden they got these like red lights going on on the screen, and then you could see his cart going around and around. So now the head pro has this information, and head pro knows they're going to have to fix that green. It's going to cost like $2,500, So as nice as he can, the head pro goes up to the CEO of the company who happens to be out there playing with everybody, pulls him aside, tells him the story, and the CEO is a little defensive for his people, as you expect a CEO to be. And then the head pro's like, come on in, let me show you. And he brings him back in this back room and he shows him this. And the CEO's like, I am embarrassed. Can you give me a print screen of that? And they print it up. And the CEO pulls a checkbook out of his back pocket, writes a check for $3,000, gives it to the pro and really apologizes. But now the CEO is steaming. So the CEO goes back as a cocktail party. He sees Bobby Tipperello across the room, and there's Bobby with his hands flailing, telling all his great golf stories. And the CEO comes up, hey, Bobby, can I talk to you for a second? And Bobby's like, sure. And they go over. Now, the CEO's smart enough to pull him away from everybody. That's the smart move. But also, while the CEO is talking to Bobby, he asks him, hey, Bobby, did you happen to take that golf cart and ride around the green? Did you ever go off and ride around the green? And Bobby's like, no, nah, it wasn't me. And the CEO's, are you sure? He goes, yeah, I, did, I didn't do that. And then the CEO out of his back pocket pulls out this print screen of cart number seven where you could see the end result of this cart going around in circles. It looked like, like three or four donuts on top of the green. And he goes, Bobby, this was your cart. Well, Bobby's embarrassed. But Bobby's going to defend himself. And he's going, you know what? That ranger told me I couldn't ride on the cart path. And he embarrassed me in front of everybody else. And the CEO just said, hey, Bobby, we all couldn't ride on the cart paths. It rained the last few days. We, it was cart path only, and you knew it. And he goes, you know what, Bobby? He goes, For, from now on until I'm not in this company anymore, every time we have a golf outing, you have to sit in the office and answer phones. And I just wrote a $3,000 check and I am going to take that out of your paycheck for as long as it takes. Now, when the CEO started talking to Bobby, he was talking very quietly. He didn't want to embarrass him. But as soon as Bobby started lying to him and the CEO had to prove it to him, his voice level went up and everybody in the room heard it. So now here's Bobby. Bobby's got a choice. Does he stay in the company and let the company garnish his wages or does he quit right there? And I don't think he quit right there, but I can't imagine he stayed with that company too much longer. Goddamn technology. It'll bite you in the ass. Last story is about bingo, bango, bongo. Now, I've always enjoyed when golfers bring new betting games to the golf course. In one of my previous pods... 
I talk about my experience with match play, with wolf, with skins games, and even animal golf. I mean, I've heard of the triple B before, but I've never played it. I was playing with Taylor last Monday, and he brought these two other players, Jake, who I've played with before, who fleeced me for seven big ones one day, and this new guy, Colin. We didn't declare a game in the beginning of our round, mostly because it was 7.30 in the morning, and some of us, Jake, I'm not saying it was you, were nursing a hangover or maybe still drunk from Sunday night. So we played the front nine, and then we were hitting some pretty good shots and scoring low on some holes, and then Taylor got to the 10th and says, let's play bingo, bango, bongo. So like Jojo the Idiot Boy, I'm like, so how do you play? Okay, it's three points per hole. One point is for the first person to hit the green. That's a bingo. The second point is for the first one that is closest to the pin from off the green. That is a bango. And the third point is the first person to make a putt. Bingo, bango, bongo. I had so many questions. It certainly demonstrated my short bus level of understanding and obtuse ability to pick up on new concepts. I felt like the character Carl from Sling Blade when I was asking all these questions. I mean, when you get to the par threes, how do you determine who goes first? Because the order has a lot to do with who gets on the green first. Can you win a bingo if you hit the ball out of bounds? Can you shoot for the fringe so that you have a better chance of getting it closer on the second shot? Can you lag a putt and then quickly knock it in next before, you, before the other guys hit it? I mean, I might not have had Carl's accent. But Taylor was looking at me like the Frosty Cream guy was looking at Carl in the movie. What you got in there that's good to eat? Well, we got Big Sheep Burgers, Bongo Burgers, Footlongs, Corny Dogs, Frosty Shakes, Creamy Bars. Uh, did, did you want me to go through the whole list? Reckon what you like to eat in there? Well, the French fries are pretty good. French fried potatoes? Yep, french fries. So without going into the detail of the next nine holes, I would tell you this. Because we were playing to get as close to the green but not get on the green, and because we were trying to lag putts, our scores got worse in the back nine than they did the front nine. So if you're looking for a game where you don't care about score or you have a vast array of talent in the foursome, this might be fun for you. But the bottom line is for the next two hours and 15 minutes, we went back and forth and back and forth, really caring about the points. We get to 18 and one of us hits it on the green and makes the putt and it was even. After nine holes, it was even. And then Colin looks at us at the end and goes, hey, by the way, what the hell were we playing for? We had never established what we were playing for. So did it really matter? No. But man, it was fun going back and forth. And the most fun is yelling bingo, bango, or bongo when you hit that shot. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> You've been listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. I invite you to visit my Instagram, Facebook, or webpage, all tales from the first tee or visit my linkedin page at richard easton if you hate it don't rate it and when you're playing bingo bango bongo and you get a bongo you just gotta yell it out
Bongo. Mode. 